We are in a series right now called Promises Kept. And today we're going to be looking at the promise that is made in Isaiah 7, 14. And then a promise that Matthew uses, that same promise, to frame his entire gospel. And so let's begin in Scripture with Isaiah 7, beginning with verse 1. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Reyes, Rezim of Aram and Peckham, king of Israel, or Ephraim, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. And now the house of David was told, Aram has aligned itself with Ephraim, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out. Meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, do not lose heart because of these smoldering stubs of firewood. Aram and Ephraim have plotted your ruin, yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus. And the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is only Ramalia. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it enough that you try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Before the boy knows enough to reject wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. And then from the Gospel of Matthew, let's stand for this reading that begins at the 18th verse. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let me go ahead and be seated. Now, as Tim mentioned, um, a few months ago, he asked if I wanted to preach one last sermon before I retired. And I really appreciated his asking, his giving me one last chance to say what was on my heart. 
I mean, that is until I figured out what verse he had assigned for this morning. The last thing I wanted to do in my last sermon was to get stuck in a theological debate about the translation of Isaiah 7:14, or lost in the whole contextual side of this passage. You see, what I was and still am hoping is to leave you with a couple of foundational principles for life. And this is one. You can trust scripture, all of scripture. It is God's word, his living and his active word. A word that we might not always understand, but a word that forms a foundation upon which we can build our lives. I went to to school and, and, and we live in a time when one wants to find loopholes in scripture. Reasons we can discount what it says, or to call it into question, or, or to twist it and make it say what we want, or, or to just down and outright ignore certain passages as being outdated or unrealistic. What I have learned over the last 40 years since seminary is that we can question all we want, but God's word over and over again proves true. And rather than finding excuses not to listen to it, I need to read it as God's authoritative word to me and prayerfully figure out how he might want me to apply it in the day-to-day situations that I'm facing. Now, this is easier said than done. I mean, in our passage this morning, Ahaz quotes Deuteronomy 6.16, saying that one should not test the Lord. And he's right but he has totally taken the passage out of context. He's misapplied it. And and the whole theological discussion about how to translate the passage about a virgin or a young woman having a child is fascinating. And it's a fascinating example as to why if one does some good theological work, one can trust the reliability of scripture. Now, two things in passing on, on this point. First, prophecy has both a a short-term and a long-term application. I mean, in the short-term, Isaiah is saying that by the time a young woman in that day gets pregnant and has a baby, and that baby is old enough to know right from wrong, the two kings that Ahaz fears will no longer be around. They'll be completely inconsequential because God is with the nation of Judah. But there's also a long-term fulfillment to the passage. A virgin, Mary, will have a child who will be God with us. Now, the theological debates in this passage come from the use of of a Hebrew word, which can either be translated a young woman or a virgin. So the question becomes, did Matthew basically misapply the text to meet his needs? I mean, that could be the argument of those who want to kind of water down the text or, or water down the uniqueness of Jesus. But this is what I found fascinating in my little bit of study on this passage. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures that was compiled about 300 years before the birth of Jesus, the word the scholars used is actually the Greek word for virgin. So Matthew does not misapply the text at all. 
God was using his words in both the immediate and the future prophetic fulfillment. So bottom line, as I began to dwell on this text, I became increasingly aware that in God's providence, in God's attention to detail, this is the, exactly the text I would want to preach on today. In this text, we find the truths that I want to leave you with. And again, the first being that rather than try and explain away and not listen to what God is saying in Scripture, we need to ask God for the courage and the wisdom to apply what we read to our lives and circumstances. Scripture is not meant to be a list of right and wrongs that we use to beat someone over the head with or a bunch of theological and historical facts that we learned. It is, in a sense, a textbook for life. It is the living, active word of God that he uses to speak to us now in our present situations. It is trustworthy and true. It stands the test of time. It is as applicable today as it was when it was written. And in many ways, when you understand all the various authors and how it was all put together and what it includes and what it leaves out, you begin to see it is really God's miraculous word to us. And so read it over and over again. Study it. It has never failed me and it will never fail you. Through it, God's Holy Spirit speaks to us now. And it points to the truth with a capital T in a world that increasingly truth is hard to come by. But having said that, as I began to study this passage, one of the, the preachers that I was listening to gave a sermon where he asked the question, what do you do in a crisis when the bottom drops out? You see, that's what's going on here. Um, Ahaz is in the midst of a crisis. He's being attacked by two kings to the north of him who are trying to get him to join in an alliance against the superpower of the day, Assyria. And God's word to Ahaz is, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, don't lose heart. These two kings are just smoldering stubs of firework. They are just mere men. They do not have power against the house of David, against the one I have made promises to. Stand firm in my promises. Now this falls along with some of what we talked about last week. I mean, God has a plan that he is working out. And nothing will prevent that plan from coming to fruition. If you want to be on the winning team, so to speak, get in on God's plan. But God's plan, as, as we said last week, is not so much to make my life easy right now. It is about his, through the work of God, Jesus' love and grace and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, his working in our lives to change our hearts, that we might be kingdom people, that we might be transformed to be like Jesus. You see, God is not working so much to build large churches with lots of programs, nor is he working to build strong nations and society. God is working to create an eternity 
that he will bring about an eternity without evil and without sin, an eternity that we who have been transformed to be like Jesus live in, trusting Jesus, loving Jesus, and loving one another. So if something is occurring now, rather than questioning God, or blaming God, or getting mad at God, we need to ask God, God, what do you want of me in this situation? God, if you're allowing this to happen, what are you wanting to work in me or through me? What are you wanting me to become? Or how are you wanting me to act so that I'm like Jesus? Lord, help me. Help me be careful to keep calm, to not lose heart, to trust, to wait on you. A little over two years ago, I boarded in a plane, I boarded a plane in Paris to return back to the States. So I went to get on that plane, I felt like God say, you'll not be back. Now I'm not sure exactly what the full scope of those words mean. But at the time, I had already paid for six weeks that next summer in Europe. So when COVID hit in March, I felt like God had already gone ahead of me and prepared me for canceling my trip. As I began to deal with the implications of a major worldwide pandemic, I can still remember walking around my complex to get some exercise with my hands open before me saying, God, between COVID and politics and social upheaval, I trust you. Here are my hands open before you. All I have is yours. Come what may, help me. Use who I am, what I have, the circumstances, good or bad, I find myself in to point others to you, to be your hands and feet. I'd ask you in a crisis, how do you respond? Do you keep your hands open before God and trust God, or do you pull back and clutch on like Ahaz did and begin to take matters into your own hands? You see, what God wanted Ahaz to do is to find his identity in being a descendant of David, in being one who had been given the promises of God. You see, Ahaz, Isaiah is saying to Ahaz, these other two kings, they're nobodies. They don't have the promises of God. You do. You're the descendant of David. You're in the line of the kings who will last forever. Folks, we have been given the promises of God. Our calling is to find our identity in being God's beloved children. You know, now is probably as good a time as any to pause and, and to say thank you. Thank you for putting up with me for 37 years. Thank you for letting me serve you for, for 37 years, for, for being patient with me as I grew up. Thank you for all of the love and the cards and gifts and the party. I mean, in fact, I, this is one picture that didn't hit the slideshow that probably should have in that, that party. Um, I have a reputation for not liking dogs, and so I just kind of want to set it straight. This is one I grew up with for 16 years. <laughs> anyway, back, back to that party. Um, it was an awesome party. Um, thank you. Thank you to all who helped put it together. 
For those of you who came, um, for those of you who watched online, um, I so appreciate it. And I've so appreciated all of the gifts and cards. You've all said um, some incredibly nice things about me. But here's the bottom line. All I have wanted to do these last 37 years is to just find my identity in being a child of God, of doing my part in the family business, so to speak. When people see me, I prayerfully pray that they see a little of God and that they're attracted to God. Who are you? Where do you find your identity? And being a wife or a mom or a husband or a teacher or a daughter or a son or, or a friend or a rock climber or somebody who gets straight A's or a hard worker or the life of the party? Please hear this. All of these things will eventually fade away over time. But the one place that you can find an identity that will stand the test of time and the circumstances of life come what may is being a beloved child of God, resting in his promises. Ahaz had been given the identity of being a descendant of David, but he was not willing to rest in it. And instead, he takes matters into his own hands and he makes a treaty with, a with Assyria, and he ends up basically being a vassal of that kingdom. Ironically, using money and treasures from the temple to buy off the Assyrian king. God, though, does not give up easily. He seeks Ahaz out, and he says, test me in this, ask for a sign. Now, I mentioned earlier that Ahaz misquotes Deuteronomy here. In the Deuteronomy passage, the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, having received sign after sign of God's provision and presence and yet still responding in unbelief, still asking to go back to the familiar, back to Egypt. Ahaz's supposed piety was really only a mask for his own unbelief. One of my authors said it this way, signs are meant to confirm faith, not create faith. Ahaz did not have faith in God. He had faith in his own ingenuity. God, though, was saying, let me show you my power. Let me show you that you can trust me. Wait on me. I can remember um, years ago when I still worked with students. I'm going up to Forest Home for a few days just to be with God. Actually, I was going through a, a pretty tough time, and, and I went to have it out with God. I remember getting a boat and taking it out into the middle of the lake and saying, okay, God, I'm not leaving this boat until you prove yourself. To which God basically said, guess you're going to be here a long time. I am not playing your games. Having said that, five years ago, at the beginning of some dark days here at Glenkirk, I was on a safari with some friends in Africa. It was a very uncertain time in my life. I felt like the bottom had completely dropped out. And on the next to the last day, as we were in our Jeeps looking at animals, I remember praying, Lord, if you are with me, give me a sign. Show me one more rhinoceros. 
And then I immediately said, oh no, Lord, I I didn't mean to test you, forgive me, I'm sorry. To which I sensed Jesus saying, look up. And this is what I saw. I have this picture on my desk at home and on the wall behind my desk in my office. It reminds me that God is with me. Emmanuel, God is with us. Folks, that is the heart of who we are. We are people who recognize that the creator God of the universe is not standing back watching, but has gotten up close and personal. He has left the comforts of heaven, so to speak, and became like us, going through all the trials and ups and downs like we do, dying our deaths so that we can have his very presence and power within us through the gift of the Holy Spirit to love and comfort and empower us. One author I read said it this way, God with us, it's hell's terror. Satan trembles at the sound of it. It's the laborer's strength, the sufferer's comfort, the sleep God gives to his beloved, the rest after exertion and toil. God with us is eternity's sonnet, it's heaven's hallelujah, it's the shout of the glorified, the song of the redeemed, it's the chorus of angels, God with us. If I were to leave you with anything, it is this, God is with you, you are his joy, his child, his prince or princess, He's with you to love and protect you and to comfort you and to guide you and empower and forgive and provide and energize and gift you. Again, one of my authors said this, at the annunciation of Jesus's birth, we are brought face to face with the central theme of Matthew's gospel. God, who had been at work from the time of Abraham, has come in person. And he has come for for the specific purpose of rescuing his people from the mess that they had gotten themselves into. Christianity is not good advice about morals. It's good news about God and what he has done for us. The good news is revealed in a variety of ways. God speaks through history, which is the whole point of the genealogy at the beginning of Matthew. Secondly, God speaks through dreams five times. In the first two chapters of Matthew, God makes his way known through a dream. But thirdly, God speaks through angels. Fourthly, through scripture. But there is a fifth way that God reveals himself. And that is through Emmanuel. God with us. Matthew's whole gospel is framed by the theme of God with us. The name Emmanuel closes out chapter 1. And at the very end, in chapter 28, God, Jesus promises that he will be with us until the end of the age. God is present He doesn't intervene from a distance. He's always active, sometimes in some very unexpected ways. But there's a challenge in this. Not only are we called to recognize and live in the reality of God with his power and love and grace being with us, we are called to be like God, to go and be with others. And so one final point. God has a calling on your life. He has a purpose for you to model Jesus in what he has done to others. I was talking to a a friend the other night. 
when we got off talking about the cynicism and the defeatism and, and the hopelessness that seems to, to permeate our society today. As we talked, my, my heart just began to, to ache. And I thought of a verse from 2 Timothy chapter 3, which says this. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Wow, if there was ever a verse to describe the darkness of our day, ever a verse to maybe pull open and use as a time of confession, it's those verses. But there's another verse, and this is the one I would leave you with this morning and ask you to jot down and memorize. It's from 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 2. It says this, but you, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into a wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Wow. We have been called out. We have been set apart not to be individuals, but to be a community of people who are holy and who are set apart to look like Jesus, to act like Jesus. We are God's special possession. I mean, do you see yourself that way? We're, we're his to declare his praises in the midst of a dark world, but also to display his power, his rule. That's what the royal part is all about. And we're to be priests. Priests take God to people, and they take the people's needs to God. You know, one of the lessons that I learned in seminary was that my job is not to do the work of the church, but to raise up people to be the church. My prayer is that through my time here, that I have helped you live into this First Peter passage, that I have given you confidence to trust God and in his plan and join him in his work. Not what I want him to do, but what he is doing. The work of pointing others to Jesus, the work of being a royal priesthood. Now one final comment. I believe my work here is done. I believe that's what God has said. In so many ways, we like Ahaz might feel like we're in the middle of a crisis between COVID again on the rise and the uncertainties all around us. But God is not calling us to go back to Egypt, but to move forward, so to speak, into promises that God still has to bring about. Like Ahaz, it is tempting to try and use our ingenuity to figure out the road ahead. But I leave you in good hands. Pastor Tim is not Ahaz. Tim seeks God. Tim is a man of prayer. He's one who trusts God. He waits on God, on his timing, and on his ways. 
May we like Tim, and unlike Ahaz, but like Joseph and Mary, trust God, Emmanuel, God with us. May we be a community of people committed to one another to study the truths of scripture, finding our identity in being like Jesus, beloved children of the living God. May we find the strength and the confidence and the energy and the power and comfort in the assurance that God is with us. And may we join in what God is doing as a royal priesthood, being a light in a very dark world. Over the last 37 years at Glenkirk, what I have discovered is that God truly is sovereign in all things. And I have discovered the absolute necessity of wholehearted reliance on him. Unless we stand firm in our faith, we will not stand at all. You are a great community. It has been my privilege and my joy to serve amongst you, to love on you, and especially to receive your love from me. Thank you, and God bless you.